Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Semaphore Uncut, a podcast for developers about building great products. In this new episode, Darko, the podcast host, welcomes Flagsmith CEO Ben Romech. Ben discusses the tool's evolution and its focus on simplicity and provides advice for adopting Flagsmith. I hope you enjoy this new episode, and let's dive in. Today with us, we have Ben Romech. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Yeah, great to be here. Could you please just go ahead and introduce yourself? I'm one of the co-founders and currently the CEO of Flagsmith. We are a commercial open source feature flagging and remote config tool um, that was spun out of a digital agency that I had been running for the last 21 years. And then about three and a half years ago, four years ago, uh, we spun the, com- the the project out into its own sort of legal entity, and I've been working on it basically full-time since then, yeah. We have recently launched a CICD learning tool, which shortcuts into everything you need to know to level up your CICD process and increase your productivity. Also, to ensure that all our customers get the best CICD guidance, we have improved our sign-up process. From now on, Everyone who's considering using Semaphore will get personalized CICD expert guidance from day one. Our engineers have more than 10 years of experience, so you'll surely be in good hands. Check it out on our website, semaphoreci.com. Our story is like very, very similar. We also, as the product started out of a consulting agency that we were running for a couple of years. Can you give us a, a bit of a background how you, how you guys ended, ended up, you know? We kind of semi-seriously tried to do things. We had projects that we'd started, but we they were maybe felt, they maybe felt a little bit forced. We had a guy working with us who had been at a VC firm and he he actually wrote a framework for us to basically to score, to come up with ideas for side projects and then to be very analytical about how um you know how viable we thought we they were to succeed in terms of our ability to build them and the market size and all this sort of stuff. So people in the agency, you know, if we had an idea, we'd go and fill in this form. We had five or six ideas. Feature flagging was like miles ahead in terms of the the quality of, of it as, as in terms of the total score. The idea and the design of the product and the ergonomics of it, developer experience of it, that was very, very heavily influenced by the consulting work we were doing. I guess it's not strange now that businesses that um, sort of sustain Flagsmith as a business look similar to the ones that we were working for and consulting to at the time that we were like, you know, sketching out the overall product basically. Yeah. So that was the kind of the inception of the idea. The strategy that we sort of just all default went with was a commercial open source business. Like we never had a real discussion around that. That was a very, very natural pathway that we took there wasn't an open source platform and that that was a very clear path to us was like go on github look for open source feature flags and there wasn't really much out there so that's that's when we started writing code and and because it was open we kind of didn't feel this urgency around revenue you know success for an open source project at the start isn't defined well it wasn't for us defined by by money or or, or winning business it's defined by people starring your project people contributing to it there just being general level of interest around it 
Yeah, absolutely. All those users are, in a sense, customers and, you know. That's exactly right, yeah. And like literally so, because, you know, a lot of the people that um, are contributing to the platform, back, uh, back, well, now, but back then as well, you know, it turned out they were deploying the platform in a large I don't know, telco or, you know, whoever they were working for. So yeah, very much so. The, the other, I mean, I, rem, I do remember feeling like we'd hit this plateau again when we turned on the, so we built a SaaS um, platform and, you know, but as soon as we turned payment on, it was like, you suddenly become very myopic around that rather than like th- seeing things as a whole. And so, yeah, that's something that I'm trying to constantly have to remind myself is like it's not just about the ARR number now it's like it's you know I we care just as much about the engagement on the open source side and um you know all all of those like non-financial metrics yeah what is you know what are you know some journeys that you see I guess one is just you know going for the SaaS product and that's that's pretty much clear but for the people who are maybe from you know bigger organizations and so on and would like to embrace initially the you know the open source version and then they might need more you know eventually can you talk a bit about how that journey could look like for people and what what your guys are seeing I think there's a bit of a tendency for like value based companies to design and build products for other value-based companies. Uh, that's fine, right? Like people build massive multi-billion dollar companies based on that. And there's lots and lots of them, you know, that are public and that have IPO'd and all this sort of stuff. But I do think that, and in my in our experience, in Plasmus experience, most engineering teams in the world are not like value engineering teams, Right. They're not getting paid $350,000 a year. There's a certain sort of shape and feel of value engineering teams. They move quickly. They're very, very much on the cutting edge. You know, they're quite often building, tooling themselves, things like that. I feel like one of the benefits that we've had with Flagsmith is actually because we haven't done any of that. We haven't raised money. We're in, you know, the company was formed, you know, the core teams in London. I feel like we've been kind of like on the ship of the journey of the non-value companies, which is like, you know, and obviously like when you think about it from a total addressable market size, maybe not value, but vent, you know, heavily venture-backed companies, there's not, you know, that that's a very small percentage of the market, right? Like, you know, I don't know, financial services industry or something is way, way, way larger in terms of a total, you know, in terms of like the GDP of that industry compared to venture-backed companies. You know, the needs and, and wants and, and, you know, how well a, a product lands with either of those two types of business, I think, are quite different. And, we, you know, like I said, we designed and built Flagsmith for our agency customers at the time who weren't, they weren't, they weren't venture backed. And so, I mean, it's not to say that we don't have customers that are venture backed. But a lot of the product design is very much around like, you know, is this relevant, helpful and valuable for a bank or a logistics company or blah? It's not like, would this be relevant and helpful for GitHub or HashiCorp or DoorDash or anything like that? You know, we're not against those things. It's just a lot of engineering is around prioritization. Building a product is the prioritization is super, super important. And so... A target customer doesn't really, they don't value that, right? So that's what we've done. We've been very focused on constantly making those decisions 
that's had a big impact on the the design of the company and the product and, and and where we are yeah yes there are those you know silicon valley unicorns that really have those you know capacity and the money essentially to be on the bleeding edge of everything and they might have a very urgent need to adopt that technology and it's going to solve something big for them but for the 90 percent of the people that are writing software no it's not that and they choose to be in a lot of areas, you know, a late adopter. They don't have the money to waste on like adopting something new and untested that will bite them. Yeah, I mean that that's that's been our experience. Is like a lot of a lot of teams they're just trying to ship their software, right? Like they're not trying to do it in Elixir or Wasm or what. They're just trying to ship code, right? Like I think there's kind of there's a there's a few different you know there's there's like the hype cycles, there's a, and, and you know the VC back things and you know, like what people are talking about on Hacker News and like engineers who really like it's their job, but it's their hobby as well. I don't think this is any better or worse, but there's a lot of people who they go to their job, they write code, they come home, they never write code. They never, the former group of those are, are very much what drive a lot of what people regard as these big trends. But yeah, like maybe, you know, like different programming languages and stuff like that. And it's like, there's no way our customers would entertain like a language like, or, you know, just changing a language to whatever. Like they just, it's, there's no way they would ever do it. There is also, I remember, um, I mean, in the CI and CD market, we had, let's say around 2015 or so, there were like literally, you know, 15 competitors doing the same thing. And, um, we were also bootstrapped and we had, you know, open, open channels with some, some of them. And it was like a, a very, very wasteful, wasteful period that they were forced into. And in this, um, we see winter and I heard, as I heard from you, uh, calling the phase. How do you see your um, position? We haven't raised like VC money. Um, we, we did do a deal with, um, three guys who sort of came on board for sweat equity, who had had careers in the West Coast and worked on and still do work on the business, like operationally. But it was a very small amount of money and not in any way a typical VC deal at all. But we don't have anyone on our board or whatever who's like, I want my $10 million back um, within the next two, three years. And then I want like a bunch more. Um, we've specifically not gone the, the VC route. Yeah, we're able to focus on the things that we feel are the right things to focus on. Um, I do believe that engineering um, or product design defines itself way more on what you don't do than on what you do you know, like not doing Docker, right? Or like we decided very early on, we're never going to have an analytics ingester, right? Like there's a beautiful compliment that you can have with feature flagging platforms that a lot of our competitors um, embrace where you use your feature, you use part of the tool to do feature flagging and then you use another part of the tool to capture how that changes behavior of users. And then you get these, you know, nice graphs of like this feature helps your key metric we made a decision very early on. We're not. We're not going to do that. We're like engineers. Don't really. That's that's something that doesn't really interest them. That's a different department. That's a different team. In our, or, or you know, it might not even exist at all. Right? Like you'd be surprised how many people don't measure stuff like that. Right? Or like if you're building an internal tool, like you know, things of that nature. So we very early on were like, we're not going to build that VC firms value firms would be like oh you know we do a b testing everyone does surely everyone does like a b and most surely you don't put a feature out without multivariate testing it right 
98% of companies or people writing software don't do that and probably higher actually. So why are you focusing on that one or 2% of, of teams? Um, so we've been able to say, we're not going to jump on that um, that sort of shiny thing. We just want to build the best product in our in our channel. And we're not going to sort of start like gazing around and going, oh, maybe it would be cool if we could, because there's a whole bunch of stuff, you know, CI is the same thing. There's a whole bunch of like little different sparks of, you know, different journeys that you can take around. But we, we're like, no, like we want to, you know, we, we're sort of laser focused on the target customer and the engineer that's working for that target customer that they might want that and it might be helpful to them. But it, it's not like we're very, very careful about not adding mental like load to the platform. We have recently launched a CICD learning tool which shortcuts into everything you need to know to level up your CICD process and increase your productivity. Also, to ensure that all our customers get the best CICD guidance, we have improved our sign-up process. From now on, everyone who's considering using Semaphore will get personalized CICD expert guidance from day one. Our engineers have more than 10 years of experience, so you'll surely be in good hands. Check it out on our website, semaphoreci.com. Maybe a, a year or so ago, DHH from 37 Singles One was on the podcast and he was speaking about the, the competition that they have. Is, and he was explaining uh, something similar to what you did that I asked him maybe just how high is the competition, you know, and all of that. And there are many, many tools. And he just said, well, they, they make something which is, you know, good. And then they get pressured by, you know, VCs to earn hundreds of millions or billions, you know, potentially. And they just search whatever the venue is to add some upselling opportunity or, you know, to add some complementary product within their product and all of that. And a bunch of other things and just complexity yeah. becomes kind of unmanageable. Yeah, I mean, like for me, when I log into a platform that I've been using, you know, daily or, or regularly for years and years and years, and they do this thing where they've just done a big release and they do the, I don't know what they call them, like the the, the walkthroughs of like now one of seven new features. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I know. just go yeah. away as quickly as possible, right? Like, I don't want to know, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care about, I'm almost certain that I'm not going to care about any of those seven things. When we're designing what we're working on and additional functionality to Flagsmith, a lot of it is like, if you need one of those, then you're doing it wrong. And that's not 100% of the time the case. But almost always, in my opinion, like the favorite thing that we did that I really loved um, around this was... So we, we built a, a globally replicated Edge API. So if you uh, use Flagsmith on our SaaS pl platform and one of your customers gra grabs their flags, they hit this eight, we've got eight regions uh, around the world, latency-based routes into those regions, your data is replicated to all eight of them. And so whether you're in Sydney or London or, you know, New York, you get like super low latency flags. If an AWS region goes down or three of them go down, we stay up, blah, 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 blah. And there was a huge amount of engineering work that went into that. And it was one button on our interface to say like, right, migrate my data to this platform, right? And that was that was the kind of uh, all, all, like the almost perfect like representation of that because we spent thousands of hours probably of engineering effort, designing and building and testing and scaling that and load testing that that product. And in the end, and now actually, now you don't even, when you sign up for a SaaS, it was only because we had to do a migrator because there was people on the existing legacy data store. 
Now, if you do that, you don't even know about that, right? You, you don't know about it unless you read into the documentation and you want to learn a little bit more about it. But you can't always do this. But if there's, if there's no interface to whatever the feature is you're building, like that's like the best thing you can achieve. Some things you're working on have to have an interface, but like if they do have to have one, like make it as absolutely sort of like minimal as it as it can possibly be is the same thing goes for like technical documentation like i the, probably the my absolute favorite pull request you can have is when you have a net negative line count in your documentation prs right that is like oh my god i want to do that um yeah like a lot a lot of the the influence of the design of the product is based around that sim- single premise actually And for people who are maybe running, you know, as we used to do, like feature flags based on a YAML file in a repository and uh, want to migrate to Flagsmith, maybe from what you are seeing with your prospects and customers in practice, how that journey usually works? What are some of the tips that you can give to people on how to, in a way, outsource that part of their their product, their, you know? Yeah, so, well, firstly, if if the YAML file works for you, then that's probably a really great thing to stick with. Stick to and, um, <laughs> Most common migrate. There's there's two common um, ways that that people would do this. Firstly, is they might just do grab our Docker compose file, which is two containers. I'm quite proud of that as well. One's Postgres and the other's Flagsmith. Um, so we're we're a monolith. Very very proud of that. Design things to that um, pattern very much. So you can get the platform up and running on your laptop in like you know a minute. So that's one common uh, path. Then just people just signing up. You can sign up to our SaaS platform for free. You don't need a credit card. Um, you can put a limited amount of traffic through it um, before we'll ask you for some money. Uh, but again, then not much. And then yeah, and then and then th- that's the and this is the sort of power and beauty of of open source is that if you want to put ten billion requests a month through it through your um, regulated compliancy-based company. Um, you can run it on-premise. Um, yeah, most commonly Kubernetes is the orchestration platform of choice. In fact, that's kind of been interesting as well because, yeah, like four years ago, you'd hear, or five years ago, you'd hear all sorts of names, Rancher and the HashiCorp Nomad and, and um, you know, Docker Swarm and stuff like that. And now, like, no one mentions, you know, like literally everyone is like, um, so occasionally you get like ECS and stuff, but yeah. So yeah, like um, mo- most commonly now, um, people um, who want to run it themselves or on premise or private cloud or whatever, they just grab the Helm chart and they do that. So there's a, I really do like, um, and I'm sort of very proud of the fact that that one minute download and install on your laptop, which you can do <laughs> before you get on the plane, and then you know be working on on uh, on your code on a on a plane without Wi-Fi. Um, can then scale up to like, you know, many billions of requests. But, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of a lot of giants of, of the open source world. Um, there wasn't a huge amount of conscious effort that went into that. That's just a natural extension of being a commercial open source business, I think. Yeah, that's very interesting. And, and something that only open source can really deliver. I think so, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are ways to do it in a closed source manner, you know, like, you know, GitHub do it, don't they? Um, but yeah, it's kind of like a bit torturous, I think. Yeah, it, it, it's completely different. For people that want to just get started with Flagsmith, I think it's flagsmith.io, am I correct? No, so uh, the website's flagsmith.com, but yeah, like the uh, github.com slash flagsmith is probably the best place to start. Yeah, and we have um, a Discord that's growing really well. 
if you want to get involved in contributing, um, like discussing design patterns around using flags and stuff. I do feel like a lot of the, there's, there's you know, most engineering teams don't use feature flags as well, right? Like, I'd, I'd love to know what that number is, what that proportion is, but in my experience, they definitely don't use them. And so I, I, I think the we're still on that sort of inflection point of an adoption curve. Ben, thank you so much for the conversation. It was great. Yeah, no problem, Darko. Thanks for, thanks for talking to me. What a great conversation. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. Make sure to subscribe to Semaphore Uncut on your podcast player of choice so that you don't miss our new episodes. And stay tuned. 